Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. 7-6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And 7-6 says this, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, you can be seated. So excited about uh, this St. Albans church planning team and them getting to uh, get started on the work there. I mean, now that they, they haven't already been at work in St. Albans, but you know what I mean. Um, I am so thrilled to kickstart a new series with, with you all. We're going to be uh, diving into the grace of God in a series that we're calling Unshakable. And the reason that we're calling it Unshakable is because, um, as, I don't know if anybody has noticed, but the past year has been a little, a little bit of a mess. Anybody <laughs> notice that? Um, and this past year, I myself, I have felt shaken more than I can remember feeling shaken in a long, maybe in my entire life. And um, I, I see believers who are shaken, who are in turmoil, who are struggling with fear, who are up one day down the next, not knowing what is going to happen in this crazy world that we live in. And I have thought so often about the Apostle Paul. I've thought about, this is a guy who you can, you can beat him, you can whip him, you, you can put him in prison, and what's he going to do? He's going to sing some hymns. <laughs> He's going to write a letter to his friends saying, guys, <clears throat> don't worry. Don't, don't be upset about this. It's actually turned out to advance the gospel. You wouldn't believe the ministry I'm having here in this church, in this uh, prison. I mean... Paul is like the definition of unshakable. You can't, you can't get this guy down. And so <clears throat> I've been asking myself, what was it that made him that way? I want that. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be so solid, so firm, so steadfast, so immovable in the face of any trial that you could face? Whatever the news says tomorrow when you wake up, whatever happens in this next week, don't you want that to be so immovable, so unshakable? And so as I've considered that and I've asked this question, what made Paul this way? I came to this very clear answer. Paul was rooted in the stabilizing and energizing gospel of grace. He was rooted in the gospel of grace. He was rooted in this truth. Jesus Christ knows me. He called me by name. 
He cleansed me of all of my sin. He forgives me. He loves me deeply. And that truth, that foundation is what made Paul unshakable. And I would argue that even though you might be a believer, and maybe you've been a believer for 50 years, 60 years, that we struggle to really stand firm in this truth. We struggle to really believe it at a deep level so that it can change us, so that it can shape us, so that it can stabilize us. And so that is what this series is about. Um, I, I have realized that in my own life, the times when I feel the most fear, the most uncertainty, the most discouragement, the most anxiety, it is always when I am forgetting this very foundational truth. Jesus Christ knows me. He called me. He accepted me. He cleansed me. And he loves me. So pray with me and we'll get started. Father in heaven, just as we sang just now, oh, how he loves us. I realize that my heart doesn't feel it as truly as I should, as deeply as I should. And I'm reminded that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that they would have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ and that we need your spirit to strengthen us in our inner man so that we can have strength to comprehend with all the saints how loved we really are because we just, we doubt it. And even if we believe it intellectually, Father, we struggle to feel it. Would you strengthen our church today in our inner man? So that we would be able to comprehend the love of Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not going to be rooted in one passage. But if you want to try and uh, follow along in the text, I'm going to be basically in Romans, around Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And I'm going to be in Galatians. So if you want to like have two spots that you're kind of flipping back and forth between, you can do that. But I've also got the verses that they're going to be on the screen because I really want you to, to be able to listen. If you can, if you can quickly navigate your, your Bible um, and not get distracted, then do that. Um, it, I get, if you came in and you got a handout when you came in, that handout, I'm not going to follow that directly. That is like more like homework for you. For those of you who hear this today and you go, wow, I need to like, I need to pray on some verses. I need to see this for myself. I need to dig in deep. That is for you to do when you take that home. So if you want, turn that over the blank side and use that to take notes today. You can do that. Um, if you didn't get one of those sheets, uh, we'll make sure you get one on your way out. Oh, we've got some in the back right now. If you would like, like one, you can slip your hand up. 
and we'll get one to you. So, today what we're going to be what we're going to be looking at is what is the difference between being under the law versus being under grace. That first verse that Michael read for us in his incredible voice, the radio voice. I wish I had that voice, man. It says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul teaches again and again and again, especially in Romans, especially in the book of Galatians, that we are not under the law anymore. We've been set free from the law, and now we're under grace. So what in the world does that mean? That's what we're going to be exploring today. And basically, very, very basically, um, you could consider this as being two frameworks, or, or another way of saying it would be two ways to relate to God. And so, very, very basically here, we are talking about, do we relate to God through law, through works, or do we relate to God through grace? And I'm just going to kind of give you a quick outline. Galatians 3 and verses 23 through 26 says this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, very, very simply, let me just kind of give you an outline of what it looks like being under the law versus being under grace. Under the law, the way, so imagine being under the law that above you, before God, in between you and God, there is law, okay? And so, under the law, you relate to God more like a subject to a governing authority, okay? And under grace, you relate to God as a loving father, and you are his child. That's where he goes with that passage we just read in Galatians. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, Um. J.I. Packer, in, in his incredible work, Knowing God, my favorite chapter in that book, he basically says that the summary of the New Testament is this, that you have been adopted by God. Um, so under the law, you relate to God as a governing authority, under grace, as a loving parent. Under the law, your focus is keeping in line. That's what's front and center, keeping in line obeying these rules and regulations that are between you and God. Under grace, your focus is knowing God. It's a relationship. That is the focus that's front and center. Under the law, because we are sinful, the thing that is always in our minds and God's is that we are lawbreakers constantly, We are falling short of this law. 
That is what is always there in every prayer, in every conversation, in every thought of God. It's that I am a lawbreaker, a sinner. That's what sin means, to break God's law. Under grace, do you know what the Bible says? In Hebrews 9, 26, it says, sin has been put away, done away with, removed from the relationship. Yes, hallelujah. Do you know that you can't have a relationship with a holy God unless that happens? Sin is put away. (laughs) Under the law. As I said, the law is above you, and the law is this lens through which God sees you. But Galatians 2.19 says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Under grace, you know what the lens is through which God sees you? Jesus. When God looks at you when you're under grace, he sees you through the lens of his son. That means when he looks at you, he sees righteousness, holiness, perfection. He sees someone who has completely upheld the law. Yes, wow. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ every single time. Not sometimes, not occasionally, every single time. Under the law, the edict by which you live is the same that was given to Cain right after the fall. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Under grace, the edict you live by is, you are accepted. Do well. Do you hear the difference? The law is if you do well, you will be accepted. And then there's adoption. There's being brought into the house. There's becoming a son or a daughter of God, you're in his house. And he looks at you and says, you are accepted, child. Now do well. It's so different. That's an overview of the difference between living under the law versus living under grace. Now, I want to look at, we're going to look at three things the law does, and then two things the law cannot do, if you're a note taker. Three things the law does, and then two things the law cannot do. The first thing, we're going to be in Romans here. Romans um, 7.12 says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So here's the first thing that the law does. The law shows us what righteousness looks like. So lest you think otherwise by this message today, The law is good. The law is good. The problem lies with us. We are sinners. The law is holy and righteous and good. And when we look at the law, we see what righteousness looks like. We understand more of the nature of God and what he is like. 
So the law shows us what righteousness looks like, what it looks like to be right in God's eyes. Second thing that, that the law does, look at Romans 3.20. And the second half of that verse, we'll look at the first half of it in just a bit. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the second thing the law does. It shows us our sin. So if the law shows us what righteousness looks like, then as we peer into this mirror of the law, we recognize that we don't, we don't meet up to its standard. Not anywhere close. And so we learn that we are sinners through and through. We are sinners. This shows us our sin. And then thirdly, look at Romans 3.19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The third thing the law does is it shows us the standard by which God will judge the world. God will judge those who are under the law by the law. That's what that says. And so we know the standard of judgment by which the whole world will be held accountable and every mouth will be stopped before God. On the day of judgment, people may try to excuse themselves, but their mouths will be stopped by the law. Now, because of these three things... This, this law, Galatians talks about, Galatians 3 talks about how the law is like a guardian that, that watches over us until Christ. That shows us, right, because we've seen the righteousness, the holiness of God, we've seen that we are sinners, we've seen that judgment is coming and this is how the world will be judged, then this law serves to prepare us for the need for a savior, a desperate need for a savior, for someone who could come and be our righteous substitute. And so the law works as a guardian until Christ. Here's two things that the law cannot do. Look at Romans 8.3. Romans 8.3 says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son. I like how the NIV actually um, words this one. It says, God has done what the law was powerless to do. The law, here's the first thing the law cannot do. The law cannot change you. When, when you read through the, the Bible from the beginning to the end, what you see in the story as it unfolds is that God's people are given a law, and they receive it gladly. They say, okay, yes, God, we will, we will live by everything that you have declared. And then what you see is those people fall terribly short again and again and again and again. They do not live up to the law. Why? Because the law is powerless to change you. To give you an illustration, imagine that I had a glass of sewage up here. Okay? And, 
And I said, okay, nobody is going to drink that sewage. Nobody in their right mind. So let me just take some perfectly clean, pure water, and let me just add that. Dump that in, and let me just add this perfect water. Okay, now who's ready to drink this glass? And no one is going to drink the water. And then I could say, well, why not? The water that I poured in is perfect. What, what's wrong with the water that I poured in? It was perfectly pure, I promise you. And you would say, it doesn't matter that you've added in pure water because it was defiled from the beginning. You needed to start over. And this is what the law does. See, the law is good and perfect and holy. But you can't add the law on top of fundamentally flawed, sinful human beings and change them. It doesn't work. Look at the Pharisees to see this. The Pharisees, we, we, if you've been around the church for a while, you know that the Pharisees have a pretty bad rap. Because Jesus rebuked them more than anybody else. They were a pretty messed up bunch. But here's the thing that we forget. Nobody kept the law better than those guys. Nobody. And so what was Jesus rebuking them for? If they were the best law keepers around. Because, you see, the law can work to change external behaviors. But it cannot change you on the inside. It's powerless to do so. And so even though these Pharisees were some of the best law keepers around, on the inside, what, what was true of them? They were ravenous wolves. They were full of hatred and greed and jealousy and anger. In fact, they hated God. The law is powerless to change us. Galatians 3, 21 says, If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law can't give life. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that the letter, the letter of the law, kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the law cannot change you. It is powerless to do so. The second thing that the law cannot do, it cannot make you right with God. This should go without saying after having said what we've already said, but I need to say it. The law cannot make you right with God. You can't obey enough to be right with God. I, I can see that this is hard for us sometimes to believe and accept, but you cannot obey enough to be right with God. Romans 3.20, now the first half of that verse says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The law, you, by, by you trying to obey it, by you trying to keep it, will never make you acceptable to God. It will never make you right with Him. You will never be justified by keeping the law. In fact, now look at Romans 7, 5. 
This will be on the screen too. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. In fact, here's what the law does. It actually stirs up the sin inside you. Going back to that picture of the sewage, when you pour that perfectly clean, good water into that sewage, what happens to all that nasty junk sitting down at the bottom of that glass? It just gets stirred up and mixed in. And that's all the law does to a sinful heart. You pour it on and it just stirs up your sinful desires. If you don't believe that the law awakens our desire for sin, try this. Go up to a toddler and say, you cannot have the fruit snacks that are in the pantry. (laughs) And you just watch what happens. (laughs) Romans 7, 1 through 6, Paul gives this example of being under the law. It's like being in a marriage, a covenant of marriage that cannot be broken. And in this passage, in in those first six verses, he's talking about how the only way out of a covenant, this covenant, is through death. But here's the problem, if if Paul is is saying that it's like we're married to this husband of the law, here's the issue with this husband of ours, the law. Romans 7, 7 says, "If if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So this husband of ours is always pointing out what we did wrong. This is what it's like to live with the law as your husband. He's always pointing out, what you do wrong. On top of that, you can't argue with him because he's always right. It says in the verse that we read, 712, the law is holy, righteous, and good. Not only is he always right when he points out all of your faults, but he never lifts a finger to help you. Romans 8, 3. The law is powerless to change you. And on top of all of that, you're enslaved. You cannot divorce this husband of yours. And Jesus said, the law will never pass away. He's never going to die. (laughs) So what do you do? How do you get out of this miserable marriage? Look, go to Jesus. Look at Verse 4, Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Here's the answer. You died. You don't believe it. You did. If you are in Christ, you have died with him. The old you was crucified with him. The old you that was married to the law, stuck in that miserable marriage, died so that you could belong to another. Amen. And so 
you're no longer stuck married to a fault-finding husband who's always right, who never lifts a finger to help, and will never die. You are now united to one who always forgives. He always forgives. Who, rather than never lifting a finger to help, says that he will bear all your burdens. This is our new arrangement, our new marriage. And he is powerful to work in you to bear fruit for God. So, we are no longer under law, but under grace. As Romans 6, 12 says. What does it mean? We've been looking at what it means to be under the law. What does it mean to be under grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Maybe you've heard the word grace so many times that it's lost its real meaning for you. Grace is unmerited favor. Here is what it means that we are under grace. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, have been, past tense. This is, if you're a Christian, this is true of you. You have been declared righteous by faith. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, there is no tension in your relationship. There is no animosity in God toward you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when he looks at you, it is peace? There is only peace with God through Jesus Christ. Not tension, not animosity, not division, peace. This is what it means. He goes on to say in verse 2 of chapter 5, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. We breathe the atmosphere of grace. There is peace with God. We have been justified, forgiven. What else does it mean that we are under grace? Romans 8, verses 15 and 16 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, do you know, Christian, that the God of the universe is your daddy? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you see the difference between these two covenants? If you have read through the Bible, if you've read 
Genesis and Exodus, what you find is when the old covenant is given, here's what it looks like. God is on top of a mountain. The thing is on fire. The whole mountain is trembling. There's a dark cloud. There's lightning bolts. And and here is the edict. If anyone even so much as touches this mountain, they'll die. And what ha- they're trembling with fear. They're trembling because that is how they see God. That is, that is God when you are under law. And this is what it looks like when we're under grace. We got adopted. We are children of God. We call this fearful God, and He is fearful. We call Him Daddy. That is incredible news. Galatians is a book that that Paul writes because people have come into the church in Galatia and they have successfully lured people away from this gospel of grace into works, back into law-keeping. And it is a warning. He is saying, you are abandoning the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 5, in the first four verses, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking about the law. He's talking about going into legalism, law-keeping. That's what the whole book has been about. He says, If you accept circumcision, which was the very first thing that you had to do to be considered one of God's people under the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you go back to law-keeping, you sever yourself from Christ. That's what he says. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. That phrase, fallen from grace, we tend to think of it as, as meaning something that's referring to somebody who's run away and they're off in some rebellion against God. And we say, oh, they've fallen away from grace. That's not how Paul used it. That's not how the Bible uses fallen from grace. The Bible uses fallen from grace to talk about the person that you look at them and their life looks perfectly tidy on the outside. Like the Pharisee. But they are trying to be justified before God, be acceptable before God, be loved by God based upon what they do. That is what pulled the church in Galatia away from the gospel of grace. So fallen from grace is referring to legalists who add anything on top of Jesus Christ alone for your righteousness. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. 
And if you add anything to Jesus, it is no longer the gospel. Paul says that person who adds anything on top of Jesus alone for righteousness should be accursed. So, new king, believers, let's not go to the law that we have been set free from. Let's live under this grace. Let's stand firmly in this grace. Let's believe that we are children of God in our Father's house. And so the way he instructs us now is not this distant authoritarian figure. But now he gets down on a knee and he puts his arm around you and he says, Son, daughter, this is how we live in my house. I love you. I accept you. This is how we live in my house. And when we sin, he forgives us. We have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, the Bible says grace abounds more than our sin abounds. You may look at your life and you say, I just don't know how. I don't know how he can forgive me. I'm such a sinner. I'm such a wreck. Listen, as much as you might sin, grace abounds all the more. He doesn't remember your sin, child of God. Hebrews 10 says, I will remember their sins no more. Romans 5 and 7, 5 verse 17 says, Because of one man's trespass, Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man. We don't have as hard of a time believing this, that we inherited sin because of his sin. In Adam, we all sinned. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, in the same way that in our old sinful nature we inherited the sin of one man. When we believe this gospel, we inherit the righteousness of one man. Amen. Yes, we be, we, through faith, we get credited with his life. This is the good news. This is the abundance of grace. And when we believe this, you know what happens? Love for God begins to grow inside you. And you can begin to obey, not out of duty, which is the way you obey under the law, not out of guilt, the way you obey under the law, but out of love out of joy, out of delight. Oh, the gospel, it stabilizes us. It energizes us. Romans 7, 6, we heard read at the beginning, says this. Now we are released from the law 
having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We serve God in a completely and an entirely different way, believer, than the way that God was served under the law. We are children of God, heirs of God. So do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I need to wrap this up. How do you know when you are beginning to go back to the law's way of relating to God? What are some warning signs for you? Well, first of all, it's when you stop seeing yourself as a dearly loved child of God. You're not seeing yourself as a child in the house of God, then you're, you're in danger. If you begin to think things like, if I do well, I will be accepted, you are in danger. You do not act in order to be accepted, but because you are accepted, then you obey. If you begin to think things like, I've sinned, and so I need to make up for it. That is the law's way of thinking. That's rooted in pride. Listen, I was talking to Tiffany about this, and she kept bringing up, the grace takes humility to receive. It's pride. It's pride that makes us go back to the law. We think, I can do this. I can work hard enough. I can do enough to be acceptable to him. No. No. You cannot. It takes humility to say, I will never be able to do enough. But God loves me as much today He loves me as much today as he will ever love me. To the team that's going to St. Albans, God will never love you more than he loves you right now today. If you go up to St. Albans and win the whole city to Christ, he will not love you more. And if you go up and you, you fail and you turn around and you walk away and no church exists for your work, God will not love you any less. You don't have to do this. Do you know that? Do you know that, believer? You are loved and accepted in the Son. So don't buy the lie that has you always feeling like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not reading enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not fasting enough. I'm not... Whatever. Stop living under the curse of the law, believer. Come under grace and say, I am loved and accepted by God. This sounds scandalous, I know. Paul said, if I had continued to preach circumcisions, circumcision, then why, why would I? He says, if I had continued to preach circumcision, then I would not have been persecuted the way I have been. But here's what was so offensive. Galatians 5, he says this. Brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What's he saying? Here's why they're trying to track me down in every city I go to. They're trying to murder me. Here's why they keep imprisoning me. 
The cross is offensive. Why? Because the cross is saying you cannot live up to the law. You cannot be saved by your works. You must be saved by someone else. You must believe you cannot be saved by the law. And that offended the legalists. And they wanted to kill him. But listen, in order for us to really believe this gospel of grace, we're going to have to pray that God would give us the strength to comprehend it. You should have gotten on your chair when you came in a card. It's got a big 28 on it. Take a look at that card. We want to invite you to join us in 28 days of prayer. This is not a requirement. This is an invitation to join us to pray. This is a four-week series. And we want to invite you to pray together with us every day for 28 days to ask God what Paul asked for the church in Ephesus in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3. And that little passage is on your card. But in that passage, we don't have time to get, go into it right now. He prays for the church there that, that God would strengthen them. Because it takes supernatural strength to really comprehend the love that God has for us in Christ. You cannot get this in your natural mind. You need the strength of God to comprehend this. And so I want to challenge us to pray for this every single day for 28 days. And here's the way that I suggest that we do it. We have on the back of that card, there's 28 blanks. Every single day, we want you to try and pray not only for this for yourself, but for one other person in the church. And try to do a different person every day for 28 days if you can. You're not going to lose any points with God if you can't. But to try and pray every single day for somebody else in the church and for yourself. My plan is to do this in the morning when I get up and at night before bed. To pray Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. We're going to ask God to strengthen us to be able to understand, to comprehend the grace of God toward us. And if, if he gives us the strength to comprehend it, we will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he says in that passage. And so, let's pray right now. Let's begin that right now. Let's ask God right now to give us the strength to comprehend his love for us. Heavenly Father, oh, your grace is so good. Father, you have put away our sins, and it costs you much. It costs you your own son. Lord Jesus, the glory of your grace is beyond our comprehension. The fact that you would lay down your life for us, for sinners, for enemies, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be adopted by your Father, Lord, we have not the strength to comprehend this on our own. Would you strengthen us in our inner man? Help us to get this so that we can be unshakable, whatever we face, whatever comes our way so that we could know I am loved 
by God. I pray it in Jesus' name.